It's something for nothing. The Rush Fancast. Steve and Jerry back with you as we always are. Jerry, how are you? I'm great, Steve. How are you? Pregnant pause there. Did you have to think about it? No, you broke up for a little bit, so I was waiting for your mouth to stop moving. <laughs> like <laughs> the the sound of your voice stopped, but your mouth was still moving, so I didn't know what was going on, so I just waited. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I'm very excited today. It is the second part, part two of our Grace Under Pressure trilogy. And as you know, part two of a trilogy is always the best. It is always the best, right? right? This is going to be the Empire Strikes Back of the Grace Under Pressure trilogy. Correct. That's exactly what I was going to say. Nice. You can find us on Twitter at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are the RushCast. Email Jerry, the RushCast at gmail.com. The emails keep coming in. And, you know, I talked to Terry Carr, who was our guest a few weeks ago, and the emails were pouring in for her, too. I know. <laughs> she, was getting, she was getting the type of emails that I get. Yeah. The emails to her should have been like, can you play whatever this song during the, the all request lunch hour? Instead, it'd be like, can you play this song? And then I first saw Rush in 1982. And it was just like paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. And she told me she answered every single email. So unlike you, Jerry, <laughs> I knew she, you were gonna say that. she answered every single one of the emails from our listeners. Well, maybe she can come over here and get me to inbox zero. <laughs> you get a few more. So I, I have to, you know, I'll cut you a break. Thanks. And we thank Lex for the bass intro, as always, for the Rush fan cast. And Jerry, we thank you for the email you're about to read. Okay, I have a couple of things. One is from David. Now, David, if you remember, sent us something. I think, we, I, think I read his um, email on Terry's show. Okay. And at the end of it, you said that he can buy us lunch. I did. I suggested that just out of the blue. Right. So he says, hello, and thank you for reading my email. You should come up and visit our city. And yes, lunch is on me. Beautiful. Yeah. You will love the food, the home of poutine, bagels, and smoked meat. And you need to visit during our week-long jazz festival. Maybe combine Montreal with a possible Toronto homage or RushCon. Nice. Dave, take care, Dave. So there you go. That's awesome. So after every email, I'm going to say, take us out to lunch. <laughs> yeah. And we'll see if all of our listeners will take us out to lunch and we'll never have to pay for food again. Right. I could use, you know, I need four new tires on my car. So if anybody <laughs> wants to spring for those and I'll make you lunch. Oh, nice. Lunch a la Jerry. But then I have uh, a longer email. Okay. Let's hear it. From Dale. What's up, Dale? He just starts off. Do true Rush fans need to appreciate every album? We've asked that before. I know. He says, yes, in terms of appreciating the desire to experiment and grow, that does not mean that one needs to love every album. Some things just don't resonate. Do you need to be a fan to review Rush albums? No, but you have to be open to the genre and the approach, which I think might be a reference to when we had Martin Popoff on when I asked him if you needed to be a fan. Right, right. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. He said, your comment about Red Tide, which I think is something you said, Steve, your comment about Red Tide and that it is about the environment, but that the first part about a virus seems apart from the rest of the song, I think is all connected quite nicely as viruses are part of our environment and our encroachment on the dark places is unleashing new disease upon us at the same time we destroy habitat for others. Still trying to understand why I have been affected by Neil's passing. 
When Frank Zappa died, I felt the world was suddenly less interesting. The same may be true for those close to Peart, but Peart's retirement, not his death, took him away from all of us. I think it's that such an impressive person who had suffered but found happiness did not have the opportunity to live that happiness to its fullest. That's what haunts me. So there you go. Yeah. So true. Very true. It is. So thanks, Dale. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate the email. And uh, forever in your area, you can buy us lunch. <laughs> or tires. <laughs> <laughs> or tires. Exactly. Since this is part two of the trilogy, Jerry, we should get right into it because it's going to be great. Okay. And it's going to start with Red Sector A. So if you want to start part two of a trilogy out terrifically, this song is a good way to start. Yeah, this has always been maybe my second favorite song on the whole album after Distant Early Warning. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just terrific. So I'll start out with a quote, Jar, as you know, you like. I like quotes. This is from Getty. When we play a song like Red Sector A live, MIDI enables me to use the bass arpeggiator part and send it to more than one instrument. Then I get a really nice bass sound triggered by the arpeggiator that keeps bottom end rolling and feeling good. That song sounds better live than it ever did on record because the technologies allowed me to get better sounds. That's another reason for doing this up and coming live album. This was back in 1987. Mm. I think more of the versions that we'll be putting on this live album are better than the original versions. And I'd have to agree. I think this song was so, so good live. It was it, uh, for me. A lot of it was the presentation as well. Yeah, I think I think when we spoke to Howard, we talked about the lighting, particularly for this song, and and the video that was playing out behind them. Mm-hmm. That was episode forty-seven. So if you haven't listened to our episode forty-seven with Howard Ungerleader, check it out. Do you have an episode list right there? No, I wrote it down. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not that smart. <laughs> so I got another quote. This is from Neil. This is about the lyrics. This is from a Jim Ladd interview that was done back in 1984. I read a first-person account of someone who had survived the whole system of trains and work camps and DeKau and all of that. And this person, she was a young girl, like 13 years old when she was sent to it, and lived in it for a few years. And then, through first-person accounts from other people who came out of it at the end of it, always glad to be alive, which again was the essence of grace. Grace under pressure is that through all of it, These people never gave up the strong will to survive. 
through the utmost horror and total physical privations of all kinds. They just never, ever wanted to be the ones who were shot. They were always the unlucky ones, which is an important thing that I wanted to bring out. Mm, that's in the song. Yeah. Yeah. That's, this, is a, this is a tough song. Yeah, and one, one more before we get started. Okay. Neil said this in 1985. It is one of the grace under pressure themes which captured my imagination on the last album and is not meant to portray any specific human atrocity, although many of the historical accounts which inspired it were, of course, set in World War II. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. That he said it wasn't, wasn't a specific thing because a lot of people feel like this was about Getty's parents. Right, yeah. Who survived Auschwitz. Right. I read, I, I watched this interview with Getty. It was from last year on Holocaust Remembrance Day, and he tells the story about how his grandmother kept his mother and her sister alive uh, during, I think they were in Auschwitz. Yeah, they were. were, were did you see that? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't see it, but I know they were in Auschwitz. Um, every day when they lined up, the the Nazis would take people to the left, then the next person to the right, then to the left and to the right. And one group went to the gas chambers and the other group went to work. So grandma would put them in line, alternating in line so that they would all go to the same spot. And she said, you know, because if we live together, then we die together. Wow. Can you imagine having to do that every day? Well, I can't imagine it. No. It is just unfathomable, unfathomable. But I agree. If that was my family, I would do the same thing. Yeah. And to do it every day, to be in charge. Wow. Oh, to be in charge of some, something like that, that takes, that's a strength I'm not sure I have. No, I, I don't know if I could survive something like that. You got to be really strong. Right. But as Neil puts in the lyrics, the unlucky ones get cut down. There's still there's still hope. Mm-hmm. So let's go. Let's get let's go with the lyrics. Let's do it. So it starts out. All that we can do is just survive. All that we can do to help ourselves is stay alive. Yeah, starts off starts off with a with a heavy heavy line, right? Because mm-hmm. at this point, if you can even imagine being in this situation. There is nothing to do but stay alive. Yeah, that's it. Your only concern is to stay alive and to keep your children alive. What a terrible thought that is, right? And whatever it is you have to do or say or figure out, you're doing it. Yep. All that we can do to help ourselves is stay alive just so they know that they can get through. And as we find out later, and I think, I think it was in the the quote you just read from Neil. They didn't know if anybody else was left, right? They had no idea. And the line, the line in the song, are we the only human beings to survive? That's because they thought that the rest of the world was gone and they were the only ones left. Yeah. Why wouldn't you believe that? Right? It's crazy. The psychological trauma upon psychological trauma of being in those camps is again, unfathomable. Yeah. And there's no way to know whether you were the only people left on earth. I know no way to know. You know, I actually 
from that interview that I saw, I did pull out one quote from Getty. He had taken his mother, uh, I guess, and his sister and his brother to the 50th anniversary of the liberation of Bergen-Belsen, mm-hmm. which is where his mom ended up. And he said, I remember sitting there with my mom in the audience and she was looking around. Obviously, she was very quiet on that trip, deep in thought. And she said she was very proud that she was standing there with her children and she had felt for the first time that she had actually won the war. And I thought that was such a positive statement to come from someone who had experienced so much in her life. Wow. 50 years, 50 years to have even a measure of closure from such a horrific, horrific situation. Can't even imagine. And then her whole life, raising children. I mean, it's working. I can't even imagine. Just what a strong, strong woman. And the other thing is Getty's father was in a, a different camp. He was at DeKal. Right. They met as they were building a camp when they were like 12 and 13. Oh, so they met at the camp. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. According to Getty in this, in this interview, they were working, you know, they, had, they used prisoners to build the camps and then you lived in the camps. So they were building a camp and then they both got sent to Auschwitz and then they got broken up. And then after the war, the dad went to find Getty's mom. They got married in Bergen-Belsen after it was liberated. Wow. That's some story. It's incredible. And all of Getty's father's family died. His mother, his father, his brothers. I can't even imagine living with that the rest of my life. Nope. That's, I can't. It's awful. It's awful. It is. So that's what this song is about. Should we skip? Do we, do we even have to go through the lyrics? I think we should. I think we should. I mean, just because they're so, so amazing. So good. So amazing. So good. So the next part, ragged lines of ragged gray, skeletons they shuffle away, shouting guards and smoking guns will cut down the unlucky ones. Yeah, that's what you were saying, that the ones who, who, who died were the unlucky ones because they all, they all had hope that they would be free, that, that the cavalry was coming, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And the music here just really, really captures the emotion of this song. It does. Do, do you find it to be a, like a little um, militaristic in parts? The word I would use is harsh. It just has a harsh right. sound to it. The guitar is stabbing and cutting through really harsh and just really well done by Alex. And when they did this live where they said smoking guns, there was an explosion. Yeah, it, if I you know. Remember. Yeah. I mean, just, just really, really good. And, um, like I said, just captures, captures the emotion of it so well. Yeah. And then we get to this part. I really love the melody of this part. I clutch the wire fence until my fingers bleed, a wound that will not heal, a heart that cannot feel, hoping that the horror will recede, hoping that tomorrow we'll all be freed. Yeah. I mean, come on. (laughs) I even know what to say. And Neil's drums are pounding, pounding away here. Again, harsh, a harsh tone. Yeah. That's perfect for this song. It is. And then... Sickness to insanity, prayer to profanity, which is, which I love. 
right? Because uh, many people in the camps walked away with their faith in God still intact. Which is amazing. Getty talks about it in that interview, that his mother is still a very religious person. And he said that he is not a religious person because of the stories that his mother and grandmother would tell him about being in those prison camps. So why do you think it is that Getty's not religious for the same reason, and his mother lived through it? Does she feel like God saved her, maybe? No idea. So for me, I'm not so sure that uh, I could walk away from something like that with any, any beliefs in anything intact. Yeah. Whether it's in humanity itself, I don't think, and certainly not a, a higher power who obviously didn't really do that much to help help along matters, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's kudos to her, man. So the last verse, Jar, I hear the sound of gunfire at the prison gate. Are the liberators here? Do I hope or do I fear? Yeah. For my father and my brother, it's too late. But I must help my mother stand up straight. Yeah. Because if you, you're in this camp, and you hear gunfire, is it people coming to save you or is it something worse? Yeah, you don't know. Is it another invading army that's going to treat you even worse? This is like terror. This is terror. Basically, any sound you hear is terrifying. Yeah, you just don't know. what's. Yeah. But the sounds also give you hope. Maybe this is someone coming to save me. Right. That's what he says. That's what the, what the line says, right? Do I hope or do I fear? <laughs> you wind up doing nothing, I guess. Well, you can't, you can't get your hopes up. I mean, there is no, there's no hope in, in a place like that, right? Right. But there still is that will to live. And again, as we always say, Neil tells a whole story with so few words. Yep. It's so brilliant. It really is. And then it ends with, are we the last ones left alive? Are we the only human beings to survive? Right. There's no resolution in this song. There's no, there are no liberators. There's, there's no freedom from these camps. We don't know. We just don't know. But, you know, the, we have to talk about the, the solo part, too, where the, oh, the music God. changes and the, and the drums, how the drums change. That, that's what I have written down here. Just one of the best, best Rush solo sections in their whole catalog, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely up there. Because it's kind of scary, right? The, the, the sounds that he's getting out of that guitar. Oh, yeah. So, so brilliantly done. Just amazing. Yeah, again. And I read that Getty doesn't play any bass on this song. Can that possibly be true? Yeah, it's all, it's all pre-programmed. Wow. That's what he was talking about in the quote I read earlier. The MIDI thing is, is the pre-programmed bass. Oh, I didn't pick up on that was the whole song. Yeah. And he, he's at his keyboard peak on this song, I think, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. Great. And as we mentioned, live, it, it was just fantastic. Howard's lighting really brought this song to life. Yeah. Do you remember what, what tour it was when we saw this for the first time? I don't. I don't. Neither do I, but I remember being, I don't know, like in awe. Yeah. Awestruck. Yeah. 
in, in the way that it reflected uh, what the song was about. It was just beautiful. Perfectly done, as usual. Thanks, Rush. Yeah. Yeah, really one of their best. Right. And they played it live quite a bit, so I would think they felt it was one of their best as well. Yeah. I remember watching, I think I was still in high school, and I had I went to the local Blockbuster, and I got the videotape of the Grace Under Pressure tour. I think it was out then. I still have that. Oh, okay, good. And I was listening to it and my like watching it. And my mom was in the room. And when the line for my father and my brother, it's too late, but I helped my mother stand up straight. My mom just went, Oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't look up from what she was doing. She just went, Oh, that's nice. I'm like, Mom, are you listening to what's happening in this song? <laughs> she just heard that one part. Right. Help my mother. Yeah. You're, she didn't drop a bag of groceries. <laughs> it's always nice to help your mom, Jer. It is. She was she was very happy about that. All right, so let's move on to track four on Grace Under Pressure, Jer. Another great one. Another great one. The Enemy Within. Jared, this is part one of fear from that same Jim Ladd interview. Here's a quote from Neil. It's part one of a trilogy, but it's the last one to appear. The last three albums have each contained a part of that trilogy. And I started thinking about them all at the same time, but they appear in the order in which they were easiest to grasp. In other words, witch hunt was the first one dealt with that mentality of mob rule and what happens to a bunch of people. And they come together and they're afraid and they go out and do something really stupid and really horrible. That was easy to grasp. And you see plenty of examples of that in real life as well as fiction and in films, of course, too. So that was easy to deal with. The second one was the weapon and it was dealing with how people use your fears against you as a weapon. And that took a little longer to come to grips with, but eventually I got my thinking straightened out and the images I wanted to use and collected them all up and it came out. And then finally, The Enemy Within was more difficult because I wanted to look at how it affects me, but it was more than about me. I don't like to be introspective as a rule. I think I'm going to get that down as my first rule. Never be introspective. But I wanted to at the same time. I wanted to write about myself in a universal kind of way. I want to find things in myself that I think apply. Hmm. No word on why it's three, two, one, as opposed to like, why do they name them 
three, two, one instead of one, two, three. I guess it's because the first part of the trilogy is, is you. Okay. I don't know why he just didn't call witch hunt number one. Yeah. Yeah. And the the enemy within number three. I don't know. Right. You're probably right. You're probably right. But, and then, you know, if he had a map for what the songs were going to be about, I guess he knew the different. Well, it said here, he started thinking about all three of them at the same time. Yeah. So I think when he wrote witch hunt, he knew he was going to do the other two. Yep. So yeah, that makes sense. Maybe it was just kind of cooler to do it backwards. Yeah. To give fans something to anticipate and look forward to. Right. Or to podcast hosts to talk about for a minute or two. Exactly. And we just did. Yeah. Yeah. Why would they do that? I don't know. (laughs) We talked about catchy songs when we discussed new world man, Jared, this is another one. I think it is. It's very catchy. Yeah. It's very upbeat for a song that is not upbeat. Right. The subject matter is not upbeat, but the song itself is upbeat. Yeah. You could almost dance to it. Yeah. You can dance to it. Sure. Sure. Upper, upper body in the car, but yeah, you can dance to it. And Alex's guitar sound on this song is fantastic. Yeah. He definitely has uh, some nice rhythms in this song. Yeah. It's one of my favorites on this record. I mean, this whole, this whole album is fantastic. Yeah. You know, I was talking to my daughter today about recording and she asked me what album we were going to talk about and i told her and i refer to it as like the lost rush album because a lot of people think that it's just like this album that's in between other albums like it it doesn't always get the attention that it deserves which i don't understand because this is one of my favorite albums yeah i don't think it's because it's not as good as the other albums i just don't think it i don't know i don't get it i don't get it either maybe if someone out there can if someone out there thinks that this is like uh, some kind of in-betweener stage, maybe that's what it is between, I don't, I don't know what it is, but try to explain it to us if you can. Well, it could be that what we were talking about when we talked about signals, that a lot of fans just dropped off after signals mm, yeah. and didn't even consider Grace Under Pressure when they absolutely should have. Yeah, fantastic. So let, let's talk about the song itself. It begins with a kind of an in-your-face attack. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just great. And it starts out with conquering your actual fears, spiders. Yeah. Darkness. Yep. That sort of thing. Right. And, and kind of uh, nebulous ones at that, right? Things crawl in the darkness. Mm-hmm. That imagination spins, which is interesting because any child will tell you that there are things, <laughs> there are things in the darkness, right? Yeah. I always thought there were. When I was 10. Yeah. I was, th- I, there were two when I was about 30. <laughs> I got over that though. So the, the interesting thing about this song is that it mentions all of these frightening things, but then immediately mentions that they're not real. Right? Right. Things crawl in the darkness, that imagination spins. But that doesn't really help you if you're feeling that way. Right? No. If you know that they're not there. It doesn't help. It, for me, this song is about, you know, just anxiety in general, right? Right. Knowing that you have anxiety or knowing that you're having an anxiety attack does nothing for you. It doesn't help you at all. Your brain gets hijacked by itself, you know? And then when it gets into the chorus, well, first of all, the, the, the rhymes in this song are just fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they are. Tense and fence, every muscle tense to fence. 
the enemy within. And then later you get steely eyed outside to hide yep. the enemy within. Yep. And, uh, the pounding in your temples. Oh yeah. That's right? great. It's the pa- 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 pounding in your right. temples. I love and that. And the drums there. It's just yep. fantastic. And then when yeah, we get absolutely. to the chorus, you've got implausible dreams and experience to extremes. Another yeah. great line. I love how this chorus starts out, right? They don't just jump into the chorus. The chorus has the, like this musical beginning to it, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there's so many tasty hooks in this song. So many, <laughs> there right? Are. There are. Maybe that's why a lot of people don't think it, think of it for being the hookiest song is because it has more than one. There are so <laughs> many, so many. When, yeah. when he starts the chorus, I'm not giving in to security under pressure. It's just, yeah. you're rocking. You're yeah. rocking at that point. It's, it's so in your face and so great. Yeah. That you, maybe you can, uh, we can discuss this because I'm, have never really been too sure what is meant by these lyrics. I think I know. I think right, I so, do. This is just a theory. Okay. All right. So I'm going to say them to you and then you tell me. All right, go ahead. I'm not giving in to security under pressure. I'm not missing out on the promise of adventure. I'm not giving up on implausible dreams, experience to extremes, experience to extremes. So my theory on this is security under pressure is the security of having a steady job and living your life and putting food on your table for your family, that sort of thing. So it's the security of holding a job and, and the monotony of everyday life. Okay. You're not giving in to doing the same thing. Like someone who's had the same job for 20 years, right? Right. Yeah. Instead of giving in and saying, you know what, I'm going to keep this job because I got to get food on my table. I got to take care of my family. I got to pay the bills. I'm not going to miss out on the promise of adventure. I'm going to quit that job and I'm going to do what makes me happy. Right. And get out there and live life. Yeah. That's what I think this means. And how does that relate to the, uh, the idea of the song or the, about anxiety or fear? I think it's the fear of breaking away from the monotony of life and getting out there and having an adventure a lot like Neil did. Yeah. Went out there on his bike and just rode around for hundreds and hundreds of miles by himself because that's what he wanted to do. Now, in Neil's case, he had the means to do that. Right. Perhaps you and I don't. So it may be an easy, easy thing for, for Neil to write and say, but it's a lot harder to do. And the fear of, you know, quitting a good job that's security for you. Right. And going out and doing what you've always wanted to do, it's a scary thing. Yeah. Just as scary as the things that crawl in the darkness. So that's, that's my interpretation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah, because these might be things you think about at night in bed mm-hmm. that you're worried about. I like that, Steve. And we get to later, you know, is it living or just existence? Are you living or are you just existing? Right. Are you going out there and doing the things that make you happy or are you just muddling along? Yeah. These are the questions this song brings up for me, Jer. Makes me want to quit my job and go hiking or something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> something tells me that that uh, would cause more anxiety and <laughs> Well, that's the, th- that's the thing. You know, it's right. what's scarier. Right. Sticking with what you're doing, maybe not exactly what you'd love to do, 
or breaking away and doing what you've always wanted to do. Yeah. But not having that safety net, that security to fall back on. Right. There you go, Steve. You just. I, I, look, I could be completely off base. Well, I mean, that, that's the premise of this entire show. So <laughs> <laughs> we might be completely <laughs> off base, but to me, to me, it works because I really have always kind of had a hard time figuring out, especially the line security under pressure. So thanks, Steve. It changed my mind. So uh, do you remember the video for this, Jer? Do I remember the video for this? They had a lot of videos for this album. They had a video for the body electric. They had a video for this. They had a video for distant early warning. That one I remember. And all the videos, the parts where they're playing were clearly all recorded at the same time. So it's in the same studio. They've got the same outfits on. But this one closes in on their, you see real big close-ups of their eyes in this song. Like you're, like you're seeing the enemy within Ooh. the three guys. I don't remember the, those videos. And in the video, you see people that I guess are the enemies within you. They're all wearing hazmat suits, which I thought was interesting. Mm. You'll have to go back and watch the video. Okay. Very, very interesting. But I think, you know, in short, this song is just about conquering your fears, whatever they may be. Yeah, I think so. Suspicious looking stranger flashes you a dangerous grin. Shadows across the window. Was it only trees in the wind? Of course it was. Yeah. Because I'm sure, I don't know if you were, if when you're home alone as a, as a kid and you hear like a tree branch, if it's ever scraping against a window, there is nothing scarier than that just from all the movies you've watched right there's there's somebody in all these movies for some reason the person who's like attacking everyone has to make a lot of noise all that time so last night when i was going to sleep i heard this scraping sort of sound sound i've never heard in my life it was like a scrape and i couldn't measure what it was so of course i get up and i look out the window and i had just covered i have a pond in my backyard and i'd covered it with a net Mm-hmm. to catch the leaves so they don't go in the pond. A bear was tearing a hole in the net of my pond. I guess he wanted a drink, and he just decided, mm, I'm just going to slice this thing open. Wow. <laughs> Do you have fish in there? Maybe he was after the fish. No, not yet. I just, I just redid the pond, and I just filled it up with water, and I just covered it up for the winter, and I was going to put fish in in the spring. No fish. No fish. Jeez. Maybe he just had, maybe he was just bored. <laughs> Bears are playful. Yeah. I think he was just messing around with the netting. I think he just wanted a, a drink of water. Wow. I can't believe you uh, went out to look. <laughs> I just <laughs> looked out the window. <laughs> I'm not that crazy. <laughs> so anything else on the enemy within Jar before we move on? Well, I think we should talk about the last part. Okay. Uh, to you, remember you, you, you hit on this. To you, is it movement or is it action? Is it contact or just reaction? And you, revolution or just resistance? Is it living or just existence? Yeah, you, it takes a little more persistence to get up and go the distance. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. So, the one, so to you, is it movement or is it action? Is it contact or just reaction? Which is like, sort of like, like opposites. Like one of them is benign and the other one isn't. Especially movement and action. You know what I mean? Is something just, is something moving? Are you just moving through life? Are you going out there and making things happen? Right. And it's the same thing with contact and reaction. 
Right. Are you the one that's making things happen? Are you contacting other people? Are you making things happen for yourself? Or are you just reacting to whatever happens around you? Yeah. And you, revolution, or just resistance, right? Mm-hmm. Resisting, uh, you know, some kind of revolution in your own life. Right, right. And is it living just existence? And, you know, it takes a little more persistence to get up and go the distance, which reminds me of, I guess, marathon. Yeah, I was, I was thinking the same thing. Okay. Simple, simple line from marathon. Yep. Go the distance. All right. I think we figured it out. I think we cracked the code. Well, you can email us at therushcast at gmail.com. Let us know if you agree or disagree with our interpretation of the enemy within. Let's move on to the next track, Jer. Another great one. The Body Electric. This song, Jared, gets its title from a Twilight Zone episode. Are you aware of that? I didn't know that. It does share a title with a Star Trek The Next Generation episode. Oh, really? And what, and what episode is that? It's an episode where these race of people who, I guess, speak in binary code or something, they're called the Binyars, hmm. who are trying to take over the computer systems of the Enterprise. Same old. It's like a Tuesday on the Enterprise, you know? But yeah, what else, what else you got about this? Uh? Well, the episode is episode 100 of The Twilight Zone. It's called I Sing the Body Electric. I Sing the Body Electric is the title of a poem by Walt Whitman. Really? Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. That's, that's, that's what it says right here. It's the name of a Walt Whitman poem. The episode originally aired in 1962. It's about a family who orders a robot grandmother after the death of their mother. And I watched a little bit of this episode right before you called me up. Yeah. And it is the creepiest thing <laughs> I have ever seen. There's this old guy and he's got all body parts lined up. And these kids must have been like eight years old or choosing body parts to make the robot grandmother out of. Like wow. he, he wheels out a whole bunch of eyes and then a whole bunch of ears and lips. And it's the weirdest thing. <laughs> and then later in the episode, an actual person is playing the robot grandmother. Right. But it's, it's not even a robot. It looks like a, looks like a human. More like an Android. Right. Exactly. Which is, which is what this song is about. So what happens at the end? Oh, she, uh, the little girl, she didn't want the grandmother. And then at the end, she, she just says, Oh, great. You're going to be my grandmother. Now I didn't watch it in its entirety. So I didn't really get the full gist of it. 
because I only had a few minutes. It seems like a, a little too heartfelt of an ending for the Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall any Twilight Zones ending with, oh, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I'll have to watch it again. Yeah, I'll watch it too. So another thing I read was that the song was inspired by the movie THX 1138. Really? Which was one of the first films George Lucas made. Yeah. I didn't see that movie, but it was about a robot, right? Didn't see it. No clue. But I believe it was about a robot. There's a lot of things to talk about just about parts of the song. One, zero, zero, one, zero, zero. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that part. That's a little, that's fun. We'll talk about that. That's going to be fun. All right. Well, I don't have any quotes from the band. I couldn't find any quotes from the band about this song. So I don't have one of those. What are your initial thoughts on the song itself, Jer? I've always thought that this song was uh, kind of a, a companion piece to Isaac Asimov's short story book called I, Robot. And in the books, there's a, I can't remember, I don't know what she's called, an android psychologist or something like that. And she goes into, you know, where they're making androids and where all these androids work and has to figure out the psychology of of these androids and why they don't do certain things or why they do do certain things. And in one story, one of the robots or androids runs away. Okay. And they try to find him. One thing you should know is that Isaac Asimov put forth three laws for androids. Have you ever heard of these? No. In this book, he, he has three different laws that you would have to, you would need to program into androids in order to make them safe around humans. So the first one is a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Interesting. And in the one story that I'm thinking of specifically, you know, these androids are used like for mining and stuff like that. One guy tells a robot to get lost. And of course, he, he's mad at the robot, uh, at the android for something. And he tells the android to get lost like you would anybody. But the android took it literally has to obey the orders given it to by a human being. So it gets lost. It loses itself in the collective and they can't find it. So that's, the, that's where the, the robot like psychologist comes in as they try to, try to suss out where he is. Huh. So this is not exactly the same thing. This seems like a runaway. This is a, this is a humanoid escapee and right. it's right on the run. So it's not exactly the same thing, but I, it always reminds me of that. Hmm. So the music itself, it's very 80s sounding to me. I mean, I know this came out in the 80s, so that makes sense. But this is one of the Rush songs that this song feels like it's an 80s song to me. It's just got that feel to it. Yeah, I, was, I didn't really pick up on that. I, I just think it's very robotic yeah the drums are robotic well and i think that's deliberately done yeah of course and the drums are are fantastic and the bass line is great and you know before we even get to it the alex solo is great let's just make that the blanket statement (laughs) at the beginning of every (laughs) so we don't have to keep talking about it the the solo is great so let's go through the the lyrics one humanoid escapee one android on the run seeking freedom beneath a lonely desert sun yeah. So that sets the sets the image here. Right. He's an escapee from what? He's on the run from what? And he's in the desert. So where was he? 
right. that he escaped from in a desert scenario. Is he working somewhere remote specifically to stop androids from running away? You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know either. Why is he running away? Maybe he's too smart. He's trying to change its program, trying to change the mode, crack the code, images conflicting into data overload. So he's trying to change his, his programming, I guess his way of thinking, I guess is, is a human analogy, right? Mm-hmm. But, but the question is why? I don't know. What happened to this little android? Well, I have a theory, which I'll get to later. Ooh, ooh, ooh. 1001. This is binary code. It is binary code, yes. Did I pronounce that wrong? It's binary. <laughs> you can say it any way you want. I don't care. <laughs> Did you look up what it, what it represents? Yeah, well, it translates to the word I. Yes, the letter I. The letter I. Yes. Why do you think that is? Why did Rush use this in the song? Because it has some kind of consciousness, right? It's basically, 100100SOS is I, SOS, I in distress. Okay. You know? So that's going to bring me to my theory then, okay? Okay. Could the, the message of this song be similar to the message in The Enemy Within? The robot is us. Okay. And like the robot, we need to break free from our programming, right? And escape and do what makes us happy. Interesting. And that's how I interpret this song. Similar to the enemy within, we're the robot. We need to break free and change our programming, crack the code. What do you think? First, we have to go across this hellscape of a desert. Right. To get there. Right. Not easy. It's, it's scary. Not easy. Right? Yeah. Sure. That's the way I interpret this. I, I could be completely wrong. Yeah, I, I like that. We are the robots going to work, going to school, doing the programmed thing every day. Man, you're really bringing me down. <laughs> makes you want, <laughs> it makes you want to get out and do things in life, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Memory banks unloading, bites break into bits. Unit one, that's you, Jer. That's me. Unit one's in trouble, and it's scared out of its wits. Which is interesting because... Can a robot be scared? Well, I was just going to say, it must be a thinking, feeling kind of android if it, ha- if it can be scared and it has wits. Right. That's why I think right? you're the robot. You are unit one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you're scared uh-huh. out of its wits. Out of I'm, wits. That is true. I'm always scared <laughs> out of my wits. You know, it's, it's like a human having a nervous breakdown, right? What this robot's going through. Yes, that is exactly right. Um, one little detail that I'm not sure it means anything, but at the end of the one zero zero one zero zero in distress thing, it's one zero zero one zero zero. And what does that translate to? That's translates to the dollar sign. Okay. I don't know. That's just, I don't think it has anything to do with the song. It's just curious. It means dollar sign. Yeah. Why did they leave the one out in that last one zero zero one zero zero? I don't know. Huh. Interesting. So let's get to the last part. Guidance systems break down, a struggle to exist, to resist, a pulse of dying power, and a clenching plastic fist. Yeah, he's, this machine is uh, breaking down, losing his life. Yep. And this last part, I think, makes sense as far as my theory goes. It replays each of the days, a hundred years of routines. And now this last part, It's kind of a religious kind of thing. 
yeah. bows its head and prays to the mother of all machines. Yeah. Now, can a robot pray? Well, you know, it has, it has some kind of consciousness. It has some kind of self-awareness. So, yeah. I, you would imagine that there were, you know, androids with thought and feeling that they would, uh, you know, come up with their own religion. And of course, it would be the mother of all machines. <laughs> right? So Neil's trying to tell us to break out of our mold, Jar. I think he is. He is. Are we going to listen to him? That's the question. Yeah. That's why I was hoping, uh, you know, to sell you on the idea of changing the podcast to a polka podcast. Break the mold. I don't think the podcast is the mold that we're talking about. I think that's, this should be what our career is. This podcast. What do you think? Okay. We don't make any money though. Oh, well, maybe we can uh, play the podcast in public and people can throw, you know, pennies in a hat for us. Or Dale can buy us lunch. Yeah, that's it. He can buy us lunch. Someone else can buy us, can buy me new tires, man. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, we've come full circle here on the podcast, Jerry. We did it. We did it. Anything else on the body electric before we we wrap things up for this episode? Uh, no. Um, it, it's a, it's a little interesting. If you want to go read the Walt Whitman poem, I sing the body electric. It's filled with lots of interesting things and go on YouTube (laughs) and watch the twilight zone episode, which is creepy as hell. Okay. I, I, again, I should watch the whole thing. I just watched bits and pieces. So we'll find out what the, uh, twist is at the end. Yeah. And, uh, also, uh, try to track down that interview with Getty from Holocaust remembrance day. Oh, absolutely. Definitely worth the watch. Absolutely. You can find us on Twitter at rush Fancast, Instagram. We are the rush cast email. Jerry, let us know what you think of our thoughts on episode two of the Grace Under Pressure trilogy, the rushcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Lex for the bass intro, and thanks to Jerry for the quote. Here it is. I have the quote right in front of me. Wow. You ready? Oh, boy, am I. To you, is it movement or is it action? Is it contact or just reaction? And you, revolution or just resistance, is it living or just existence? Probably just existence, unfortunately. Probably, yeah, I know. Have a good one. Bye.